I've shifted my view of pruning. You know, I used to think it was God was saying, come on, you know, you need, we need to pick it up here. You're really not doing that great. Now I see it as a hand of love. It yes. doesn't feel good always, but I see it as God's way of saying, you're mine. Yes. I, you are mine and you know, Wait till you see the, the fruit, because the whole point of pruning fruit is you suddenly see so much more fruit. So for the last year, it's been interesting times at our home. Immediately behind us, like if I'm sitting out in the little balcony looking over the lane, the house that's opposite has been unoccupied, I don't know, for probably three or four years. But to the right, there's a big house, a big fancy house that used to be a sweet old gentleman in that we used to check on all the time. Well, I don't know whether his family took him or if he's in a retirement center, but that house has been vacant now for a year. And we were gone, Barry and I were gone somewhere and we came back and our little yard, which is right beside theirs, had been taken over by these vines. They'd come under the fence, they'd wow. come over the oh, fence. Wow. And one day I'm sitting in the backyard and I'm like, Lord, this is so annoying mm -hmm. because it, like my dog would start to chew them. So I keep having to trim it. And I felt the Lord say, Sheila, this has a message for you. This is part of my plan. It's God's get back on track plan, heaven's life support system. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. unless we understand that to be able to flourish, we have to stay connected yeah. to the vine, we are gonna die. So let me read John 15 and I love, love, love. So remember the context of this passage. Jesus knows that the sand in his hourglass is disappearing fast. I mean, if you read it in Mark's gospel, that it just starts to click, click, click. So this is in the middle of the last conversation Jesus has with his closest friends. So this is what Jesus said, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And I remember sitting in the yard that morning with my coffee and looking at all the, the, the ones that Barry had snipped off and they were just lying there on the grass waiting for us to, to take them away and dump them. And they were dead. I mean, there was no life left in them. They had been crazy wild and now they're absolutely dead. And I just saw this thing of like God saying, mm. this is my life support plan. This is, you wonder how we're gonna make it in these difficult days. You wonder what you're gonna to say to people when you know they're, they're, they feel as if they're just dying. Stay connected to me. Yeah, and I sure. love the fact that it says, the branches are not producing any fruit. They're mm -hmm. just gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some people that will yep. come to church every Sunday or you know, go to things and they're like, you know what? Makes no difference to the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I've put in my two hours and now I'll go live mm -hmm. my life. But I love the fact that it said, but those that do bear fruit, yes. he's going to prune. Yes. And that that is a mark of love. It's mm -hmm. a mark of connection. Yep. It's a mark of adoption. It's God saying, you're mine. Yeah. And I think of the many times in my life where I've gone through those pruning yes. times. And sometimes we think pruning shouldn't really be that painful if yeah. God's doing it. But I love when you read in Genesis, well, I guess from 35 all the way through to the end, the story of Joseph. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's this young mm -hmm. kid who knows that God has a special plan for his life and he decides to share it with his brothers because he has no wisdom yet. And interesting, you know, you read the whole story of how 
He's trafficked to Egypt by his own family, you know, ends up in prison, all of that stuff. And then in Acts, you know, they're talking about the different people in Scripture who've followed God. And it says about Joseph, and God was with him and prospered him in all he did. Twelve words, 13 years. 13 years from when he's thrown into that pit until he's finally raised up to be the prime minister of Egypt. And the thing that I love is when I went back and read the story again, all those parts where it's like he's being thrown into the disused cistern or where he's been trafficked or where he's been thrown in prison, it's these little words, and God was with him. Yeah. And I think we think, if God is with me, that's not going to happen. And I was thinking today before we even came over here and I was praying for people who might tune in and are thinking God's not with them because life's hard. Because they've gone, you know, you prayed and prayed that God would restore your marriage and it still fell apart. You know, you're down on your knees begging God for the life of your child who was sick and God didn't answer that prayer. And you're like, God, where are you? And I think that's why we've been given the gift of Scripture because we can read in there Sometimes this is what it looks like when God is with you. Sometimes you're betrayed by your own family. Sometimes you do the very right thing, like this, you know, glamorous woman tries to seduce him. And he says, no, I'm not going to dishonor your husband, who's given me a great job, and I'm not going to dishonor my Lord. And he ends up in prison, and God was with him. That I think there's something, I've shifted my view of pruning. You know, I used to think it was God was saying, come on, you know, you need, we need to pick it up here. You're really not doing that great. Now I see it as a hand of love. It yes. doesn't feel good always, yes. but I see it as God's way of saying, you're mine. Yes. I, you are mine. And, you know, yeah. wait till you see the, the fruit. Because the whole point of pruning fruit is you suddenly mm-hmm. see so much more yes. fruit. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of those who are feeling discouraged yeah. and like nothing much is happening. Stay connected to the vine where there's life. And if you're in a season of pruning, just watch for spring. Just watch for what's going to come up in your own life. When we read in Scripture, um, be in the world, but not of it, I think that's something we need to unpack more and more. Because I think sometimes we are in the world and we're of it because we had kind of adopt their standards of understanding of how things should be. Um, we live in a kind of success-oriented culture where certain people get rewarded for being great athletes or the way they look or all sorts of different things. And we think, you know, Lord, if you are with me and if, if you are blessing my life, then that should show up in a way that makes sense to me and in a timing that makes sense to me. But the more I read through the whole canon of Scripture, I understand that God's timing is so different. And even God's presence looks really different than I think it should at times. Even just taking the story of Joseph, you know, you can pick up the story in Genesis 34, 35, and you see this young teenager who knows that God is with him and God's going to do something remarkable through his life. But then you read that his brothers, who were so jealous of him, and, and the fact that he was young and not very wise, and so they, they at one point, planned to kill him, but eventually sold him. They trafficked him to Egypt. And then, you know, he ends up getting a great job, and yet the his master's wife tries to seduce him. He says no to honor God, and he ends up in prison. And the interesting thing, the thing that I just it blew me away when I first saw this, was all these moments when, to me, it looks like everything's gone wrong. It says, and God was with him. 
And later on, it says in Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 11, it, it's just a little short sentence about Joseph. It says, um, and God was with him and delivered him from all his fears. Twelve words. But it took 13 years. That if you find yourself in a long season of waiting and you don't feel as if God's presence is with you, understand God is always there with you in the waiting and His presence is with you. And even when things go wrong, remember that God has not left you and take comfort in the fact that His timing is perfect. As you were reading um, John 15, what what always kind of strikes me when I read that passage of Scripture is that a lot of times we focus on the pruning piece, but he says too, in verse two, he says, he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And it's interesting because what that means is the exact same tool that's cutting the branch is pruning the branch. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a question of, well, which pain do you want? Because cutting is going to happen one way or the other. And I think we sometimes get fixated on, well, but I thought that if I was in the Lord, I would not experience any pain. Yeah. And it's like, there's actually pain in either direction. No, that's true. But there's fruit in only one direction. That's right. Yeah. There's, there's fruit only through being connected to the vine. Yes. And we have to ask ourselves, am I, am I wanting to be fruitful? Because it's going to be painful. Yeah. yeah. The question, though, is are we willing to surrender to the process and the grace that God's going to give us through it? There's been so many times where I felt like, wow, I am feeling this so bad. <laughs> you know? And this process, I'm not winning. I, I, you know, and oftentimes we can get so discouraged oh, yeah. with ourselves. You know, like, why can't I change? Why can't I be more forgiving? Why can't I be kinder? Why did I have to make this mistake over and over again? Why is my heart so divided and twisted? Um, but my favorite part about the verse that you introduced um, earlier um, is that the one who remains in me yes. and I in him produces much, much. fruit. Mm-hmm. And the key to the victory is remaining. Yeah. And as long as you remain, you will win. To me, that's that's so encouraging because I feel like to to win, I need to be better. Mm-hmm. To win, I need to be a fast learner. Mm -hmm. To win, I need to get over myself. To win, I need to get over this pain. And sometimes we feel like um, the key to victory is uh, through striving, through um, pressure, right? Even religious pressure. Mm -hmm. But actually the key to victory is in this intimacy. It's just remaining. Hey, you may have had a really rough day and you may have raised your voice and you may have said things that you wish you never said and you may have looked at things that you wish you never looked at. But hey, I'm going to still remain. I'm going to remain even though I'm ashamed. I'm going to be, I'm going to remain even though I am afraid. And as long as you remain, you win. Yeah. Oh man, I know what it's like to just be in that pruning process and really wonder, is this going to be worth it? And if that is you, my encouragement to you is let God finish the work and you will see, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. Oftentimes in the middle of the process, we just want to leave God, right? We just want to, we just want to book it because it just becomes too painful. Let God finish the work. How? By remaining with Him by making sure we just keep going back to Him. And as you do, let Him finish the work. Let Him finish the maturation process so that you could taste the good fruit. And what He offers you at the end will always be better than what you had to let go of. 
I love the um, way you described how it's it's not mustering up strength to remain. When my boys were babies, uh, little, they're, they're, I have two boys, 11 and 13 now, Caleb and Noah. And when they were little, I just, I wore them everywhere. I wore them everywhere. And I always joke and say, the Lord blessed me with large hips uh, so that I could, so that my boys could have a, a resting place when yeah. I would carry them around. And, and so I, you know, I just, everywhere I would, I would cook dinner. I would clean the house with a child on my hip. And I, you know, of course I always remember wondering when's going to be the last time that I can't do that anymore, that I can't hold them there. But they were, they were tethered to me, right? And this idea of remaining is, is to be tethered to. Yeah. To be tethered to Jesus, where He is the one who carries us. He is the one um, that is guiding us along the way. The invitation that we have is to tether ourselves to Him um, in the moment by moment, in the day by day, in the minute by minute. And to tether ourselves to Jesus, again, it's not about us like mustering up the strength, but it's allowing yes, that grace yes, of God yes. to do that surgery Amen. in our lives, to do that work in our lives, that as we are tethered, before we know it, love is naturally flowing out. Joy is naturally flowing out. Patience and kindness and goodness, those fruits aren't something that we muster up strength to produce, but as we are tethered to the grace of God, God does that work and it springs up like a fountain blessing in our lives. I mean, speaking of tethering, you know, I just really felt like I wanted to share this Um, because I think oftentimes we think we're holding on to God for dear life (laughs) and that it's from our strength to hold on to Him for dear life. Um, In James 4, one of my favorite passages, it starts off dark though. It's James 4 from verse 4 uh, to 5. It says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely the fact that the Lord made the Spirit dwell in us and yet He's having these deep emotions the Holy Spirit feels deeply while He's within us I mean there's been times when I fought with my husband or with my parents or something and we're like we can't do this let's walk away let's walk away and revisit this again right but just as much as we're tethered to God God is tethered to us. And even though He's envying intensely as we are flirting with the world, He's making the Spirit dwell in us. He It never says He walks away. You know, and I used to be so exhausted with my spirit life because I thought it looked like this. I think it just, it's like we feel like we had a bad day, so we're separated. So I got to find and go back. Oh, we had another bad day. We separate. Oh, Sunday service was good and we go back. And we feel like we're just going back and forth when actually I realized from this passage that our relationship with God looks like this. Mm. So if Jeannie lets go, like we still remain. God is still tethered to us by the blood of the Lamb. You know, and it gives us so much freedom and grace. This idea of abiding in Christ or tethering ourselves to Jesus, um, for me, Uh, means that the call and the invitation is to keep Jesus at the center. 
uh, which is very different than how I hear some people talk about it. I think sometimes we say, well, I've got I've to keep Jesus first in my life, God first, then family, um, then, then, you know, maybe church. And we create these orders. But to abide in Jesus is very different than that. It means Jesus is at the center of all that we are and all that we do. That Jesus is at the center or Lord and the ways that I think about my family and the ways that I think about my relationships and the ways that I think about uh, ministry and the ways that I think about how I spend my money and the ways that I think about the projects that God is calling me to. That when Jesus is at the center, he exudes and permeates all that I'm doing. And so what that looks like on a day by day uh, basis is that in the morning when I rise, it's, it's giving my day to Jesus. It's acknowledging Him throughout the day, and it's allowing His words through Scripture to shape my imagination. And it's bringing before God decisions. It's bringing before God heartaches. It's bringing before God major life events and saying, God, guide me, establish my steps, and propel me to the future that you have for me. God sees who we are going to become. You know, we see the pruning. We see the pain. We see the ache. We see what's being cut off. We see what's hard. We see what we don't want in our lives. And, And I'm just so reminded that when God sees us, He doesn't see the seed. He sees the whole tree. He sees who we are becoming. And so our our work of remaining is like, we look at it and we're like, oh, I'm being cut. Oh, this is so hard. Oh, I don't like this, you know? And it feels like it's a pulling back, but God sees the tree that we're becoming. He he knows what what we are in motion towards. And and I think about all of the different things in the New Testament and and the, the ways that there's movement, right? From infancy, to adulthood, from immature to mature, from being a pupil to a teacher, the untrained to the trained, that at one point we could only have milk and then meat, right? God sees this maturation process, and He knows that we will not be the kind of tree planted by streams of living water that we are meant to be mm-hmm. unless there is a pruning. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about even the the parable of the seed, right? The seed only is going to grow if it falls onto soil and dies. There has to be a letting go. And in that death is where growth occurs. And and that's part of the maturation process. That's part of the metamorphosis, right? That's, That's the caterpillar going into the cocoon. It's the darkness and then something new emerges. And and I think that for us, we are often so overcome by the fact that we can't see what's happening in the dark. We can't see what God's producing, but it's always life. I'm not a gardener or an arborist by any means of the words, but I, when you were talking about just the cutting away, um, I remember some years ago, because I live in Florida, so there's hurricanes. When hurricanes come through, there'll be like dead tree branches everywhere. A lot of times, huge trees will be knocked over and like you will be shocked because you're like, that tree was so big. How did it get knocked over? But I was, I was just researching about like what makes a tree healthy. And what I learned is that if you don't cut away dead tree branches, what happens is because it's still connected to the tree, the tree will exert more energy yeah, to keep trying it. to revive that dead branch 
then it expends on the healthy branches. And so the tree ultimately becomes malnourished because it's trying to revive something that's dead. And so when the hurricane comes, it gets knocked over because it's malnourished. And so you can look at nature and just see the purpose of what God does. It's like, listen, when you have dead things attached to you, you will exert more energy (laughs) trying to keep that thing on life support. And God is like, no, 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 we got to prune this off because there's more that I have for you. There's more fruit I have for you to bear. And if I don't do this, you're, any wind that comes your way is going to knock you right over. Yeah. Yeah. And so we see and it I in think, nature. I think that one of the things that needs to shift for us is to see that pruning is loving. Yes. You know, in, in the in the story that you just told, Nona, it's loving to cut that off of that tree so that the tree can grow more. And the same is true in our life. It is a loving God that would cut things off that are not going to produce fruit. I don't think anybody loves a pruning season, but I have found in my life that when I step into pruning seasons with humility, when I actually trust that God is good, that God is enough, that He is actually producing something in me that I couldn't have done on my own. And so I try to walk into those pruning seasons, not rejecting them, but actually accepting them and with a posture of humility that God is good. He is enough. And so He is going to produce good things in my life. I think that for many of us, I'm guessing that none of us are really good waiters. Mm-mm. We don't no. we don't like to wait. No. Oh, I thought you meant serving tables. I thought I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> I, thought, oh, that's pretty good, <laughs> I don't I, I just get the sense that all of us here kind of, you know, like things to happen the yes. way we like them to happen. God you know, I'm not calling any names yeah. out. I'm just getting a sense that we all are a bit similar that way. And I will say one of the primary ways that God does pruning in my life is through waiting seasons. Oh, yeah. Is through waiting seasons. And then what I realized whenever I was in a waiting season is that there's not a single person from cover to cover in this book that has not gone through a waiting season. You talk about Joseph, right? Yeah. Significant waiting. And, And these are just, you know, some of the ways that God lovingly prunes us. And I'm curious for the rest of you, what are some of the other ways that God has consistently pruned you in your life? I mean, waiting has been a big one for me, but I wonder how else has God been pruning? Yeah, it's been a lesson in learning limitations. Yeah. I, I struggle with waiting, um, but I also sometimes uh, believe that I can do it all. In 2016, I had accepted um, a dream role. I was a lead pastor of this wonderful church in Southern California, and it was a dream. And there were ups and downs, of course, as pastoring um, would have it. And in 2020, when my father was diagnosed with cancer, my mom with Alzheimer's, and then when my family had lost their, their our family farm, um, I found myself flying back and forth during the pandemic. Every other week, I was flying from Los Angeles to Chicago to drive an hour south of Chicago to pick my father up, to drive him to chemo four hours away, drive him back home, fly back to California, and then all the while trying to pastoring pastor a church. My parents were in a dire situation. 
And I remember sitting by my father's hospital bed in August of 2020, and I was responding to an email to a congregant um, about something really difficult happening in the church while also consulting with a doctor about my father's prognosis. And I walked out into the hallway and just started to weep. Mm -hmm. And I just said, God, I can't. And it felt like I was wrapped in a bungee cord and I could not breathe. Like that bungee cord was just so tight. And on one end of that bungee cord was the church I was pastoring, the dream. Mm -hmm. And on the other end was my family who was in a dire situation. And they were both pulling opposite directions. And I said, God, I can't. And the Lord in that moment, it was as though God just took these scissors and just cut off that side connected to the church and released me in a moment. And prune that for my life. And it was so disorienting, but so freeing, right? Because up until that moment, I, I, I was going to pastor that church for 35 years. I, I, was, I was not going to leave. I was going to pastor that church for 35 years. I could not have ever dreamed that that would be pruned from my life. And yet I went home and I talked to my husband. I said, I said, Jeff, it's so hard to explain. I just, I feel this freedom. I feel like God is saying it's time to go. Like we need to go back and honor my mother and father in this season of life. It's, it doesn't make sense. It is the backwards trajectory according to the world, but this is the direction that God is leading. And we prayed about it and we just, we all felt so confirmed. Even my children wanted to go back to the Midwest. And that was a season of, of really me saying, God, I can't. God blessed me, um, by seeing my recognition and my limitations. I hit a wall and it was almost as though God said, what took you so long to say you can't? Because I knew that you couldn't years ago. And here you were trying to spin all these plates. And that pruning for me, Jenny, was, was a blessing. Yeah. It was a blessing and it was freedom and it was a blessing and embracing my limitations. Yeah. One of the hardest and most important lessons that I have had to learn in this Christian life is that I have limitations. I don't like that lesson. I've bought into the notion that so many of us have bought into that we can do it all. Um, I don't like to show weakness. I don't like to admit when I don't know something. I don't like to admit when I can't do something. And that moment when I confessed before God that I can't do it was one of the most holy and intimate moments between me and God. It was as if God was saying, what took you so long? It was as if God was just waiting for me to surrender. And since that moment, embracing my limitations has been an important practice uh, for me. And every time I do, it is an act of surrender before God. It is acknowledging that I am not God and that God is. It is acknowledging that I don't hold the world together that God does. It is acknowledgement that the world is not on my shoulders, that my life is not on my shoulders, but it's on God's. And so what that does is it puts God in His rightful place and me in mine. I remember this one time, I was in a prayer meeting and we were going around and sharing, uh, let's just share one word that we would describe God as. And we were just, Adoring the Lord together as a group. Lord, you are kind. Literally the next day, everything started to fall apart. 
Um, this was right before uh, the lockdown of the pandemic. So, I mean, we didn't know what was going on even to the week before, right? And um, I remember um, a month after that prayer meeting, as everything was just um, getting canceled, people were leaving you. And my big thing is rejection. Like, oh, I hate being rejected so bad. Yeah. Even now, I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, I don't love it. I don't like it. Um and I remember telling God, I take it back. Like, I don't think you're kind. <laughs> like that, that was really, really mean. And I don't see any good from this. And, um, because there is a level of pain in the pruning mm-hmm. where you're just like, God, I don't know if it's worth it. Like, I really, I know this is probably good for me, but right now I just can't see the light. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to be worth, worth it. Now, during the two years after what God was pruning for me was this need to keep people. Um, I mean, this is not in the line of like loyalty and covenant commitment. Like that's not what we're talking about, but he made me realize that so much of what I was doing was contingent upon keeping people as opposed to glorifying His name. And I felt like the Lord was saying, is it still worth it if you do what I've called you to do and people around you are not pleased? Like, would that still be worth it for you? Would it be worth it if you lose people, if people misunderstand you? Or is success to you people getting you and understanding you and staying by your side. Is that success or a success obedience? And I was like, why can't I have both? Why can't I have both? And I went through this two-year journey. um, And I remember, I don't know. And this was the grace of God, truly. It was the grace of God doing the transforming work in my heart where I had to come to this place where I confessed to the Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy. Um, even if uh, I don't have the acceptance of those that I love. You are worthy, even if it fails. You are worthy, even if it's subpar. You are worthy. Like Taking the risk and believing in you and trusting you and failing, people leaving, like all that, you are still worthy. And something in that moment really set me free where I realized, oh, this is what... You were trying to prune me out of. And this whole time I'm kicking and screaming and saying, you're me, you're not kind. When actually he was just trying to set me free to be more of what he's called me to be. Abiding in God has revealed to me that he is enough. How? Because God is one to be experienced. If you look in the Bible, God wasn't just this cerebral concept. He was one that we could go to and He will respond back. That experience with the Lord fills you up in a way that nothing in this world can possibly fill you up. And it's just something that no one could really describe it fully unless you actually just do the going to God yourself. In James 4, it says, if you go to God, God will come closer to you. And right, and as you do that, as you constantly go to Him, experience Him, you will realize deep down in your soul that He is more than enough. I had a, a bit of a revelation about what God had been pruning out of me. And that was, um, so I have an interesting situation. So I'm 
you know, have a job, you know, this global tech role, and then uh, also a public ministry. My husband's a pastor, you know, I'm helping serving him at the local church, then, you know, mom and wife and Just all this. Just a few things. Just a couple things going Just on. Things. And, um, you know, hearkening back to my childhood, I have carried an abandonment wound. Um, I know it now, but I didn't know it then. I carried an abandonment wound um, even into ministry to the point where, like, I wanted so badly to have, like, the only way I can describe it is, like, I wanted to have, like, a spiritual mother, mm-hmm. like a mentor, mm-hmm. like someone who could really, like, connect with me and, like, mm-hmm. teach me the ways of ministry and all that. And, and, and many of the other ministers in my circle have that. And I never did, you know, as doors would open, I'd get invited to speak places. I was always like, I don't have a covering. I don't have anybody to, like, you know, bounce things off of and all of that. And um, for years, I carried that, this sense that I'm not enough because I don't have this spiritual parent. Mm. And I remember one day, God, in in His most lovingly firm way, He said, am I not enough? Mm. Because He was like, Mm. Nona, you, you want a spiritual parent because you want someone to like, teach you the ways and like open doors for you and like vouch for you and all of this. And he was like, every door that's ever opened, I opened it. Mm-hmm. He was like, it wasn't because of a man or a woman or anything. He said, I did it. He said, I've been your spiritual father. Yeah. And he had to prune away that desire mm-hmm. in my heart because as long as that desire was in my heart, I wasn't able to experience his goodness for what it was mm-hmm. because I was constantly like, well, I don't have this like spiritual parent to like shape me and mold me. And, and God was like, am I not enough? Like, why am I, why am I not enough? Um, and as he pruned that out of me, I began to be able to see his goodness, like to see the miraculous work he was doing in my life. He had to prune that desire away in order for me to actually appreciate who he had been for me the entire time, even all the way back to my childhood. He took me all the way back to my childhood. And he was like, you remember when the preacher said, I'm a father to the fatherless. That is a promise that I made. And I've always been your father. Even when your mother had forsaken you, I stepped into that role. And I was like, Lord, thank you for your goodness. He had been good to me even in that. That's what he had to prune for me. The idea of abiding in God is really a question of two things. It's a question of proximity, and it's a question of time. You see, when we abide in God, we have to be proximate to God. We have to draw nearer to God. We have to create physical closeness to God. That means actually being in His Word, praying and seeking His face. But then also abiding in God means spending time. It's about sustainability. It's about endurance. And we have to be intentional about guarding our calendar against the many distractions that will separate us from the time needed to abide in God. And so it's about being close to God and also being intentional about the time we spend with Him. I love this passage in John chapter 15. And it's another way that Jesus describes himself. So let me read John 15, verse four. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I've never seen an apple or an orange struggling to become an apple or an orange. They simply grow where they grow and flourish. And it's the same with you and me. When we 
find ourselves, when we center ourselves in Jesus and who He is, He is the one who produces the fruit. You can spend years thinking, I'm gonna be a good Christian. I'm gonna be a perfect Christian. I'm gonna be a faithful Christian. I did that for years. And it really, it was one of the most frustrating journeys in my life. But when I decided I'm just gonna be a lover of Jesus, I'm gonna hang out with the Lord. I'm gonna be with Him. He is the one that produces the fruit in our lives. One of the gifts is that God is always present. Oftentimes we're the ones that are not present to God's presence. And sometimes it's just pausing and stopping and giving yourself some space to remind yourself that God's presence is here and He is looking and longing to spend time with you. I think for me, one of the things the Lord has had to prove of, prune away over the years is comparison. Mm. Like comparing myself to other people in ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I, yep. I, I grew up as a contemporary Christian artist. That's why I came to America. You know, you know the songs and you get up on stage and you do your songs and then suddenly I'm asked to speak at something. And I'm like, no, I, I, I don't speak. I don't speak. I mean, I can say words after several whole sentences. I sing, I sing. But that was just, I mean, that was, the thought of standing up with a microphone in front of a bunch of women was terrifying to me. And I was actually at Fuller Seminary and I got a phone call from one of my, my best friend, Marlene, and she said, are you doing anything on Saturday? And I said, no, do you want to do something? She said, no, actually, I would like you to do something for me. And I was like, sure. What do you want me to do? And she said, I want you to drive to, I was living in Laguna Beach. I want you to drive to um, Palm Springs and speak at a luncheon at a country club for women. And I was like, no, no. I'm and busy. she was like, and, yeah, <laughs> suddenly I, I remember. And I said, no, I can't do that. And she said, Sheila, I need you to do it. I said, Marlene, you know almost every woman within the Christian. She worked, used to work with Brother Andrew and Open Doors. And I said, you know who are speakers. You know I'm not. Ask one of them. And this is what she said. This is my best friend. She said, I've asked them all. You're at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Seriously. So I was like, well, because I love you, I will do it. But let them know this was all you could get. Yeah. And I remember standing up and realizing I actually hadn't prepared a message because I was just hoping that the Lord might return. But he had tarried. And so as I'm standing there, I'm like, what do I, what do I do? And I remember shooting up this quick prayer at the Holy Spirit. What, what do I do? And he said, just tell the truth. So my opening line was, hi, my name is Sheila. And two months ago, I was released from a psychiatric hospital. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I shared just yeah, basically story. my yeah. story. Mm -hmm. And from that, I was then invited to speak at something called Women of Faith. And what made that much more challenging was there were five other women who were speakers. And I remember sitting on the first night listening and Barbara Johnson spoke and then Patsy Claremont spoke and they were both brilliant. And I, there was a break and then I was up after the break and I went to the restroom and I locked myself in. And I was like, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. I was overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I felt that quiet voice of the Holy Spirit say, Sheila, run in your own lane. Yes. Yeah. Run in your own lane. Right. And it sounds so simple, but it was huge for me because I, when I'd looked to other people, yeah, yeah. I saw the specific way they were gifted yeah, yeah. and how, what a great storyteller she is and what a profound Bible teacher she is. Mm -hmm. And the fact, the thing that was liberating when the Lord cut off that desire to compare myself to other people was I thought, I just actually get to be me. Yeah. I just right. get to show up and, 
And so now whenever I go on a platform or come out here, I always have this little thing I do where I'll say, after you, Lord. Yeah. And I have this sense of just walking up behind the Lord and sitting down knowing, and that's for all of us. Yeah. You know, every right. single that's one true. of us, we're Jesus' boots on the ground yeah. 24-7. Yes. That's right, Sheila. And we get to serve Him wherever yeah. we are. It's not that's just people right. who've got national ministries, have yeah. written books. Yeah. Scripture says when we get home, the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant, not well done, good and yeah. published author, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's or just, good and famous servant. Yeah, good yeah. and famous servant, that's no. Good, so no matter where we are, so if God's trying to cut something off, let him cut it off and yes. then lo yeah. watch how you flourish spiritually. Where you are, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. I, I so resonate with that, Sheila. This issue of comparison will have us comparing our walk with others. Yeah. It's like, wow, she just seems like she's so much more holy. Yeah, and it, gosh, it just seems like she's so much more like righteous and she prays more than I, she studies more than I do. And it's like, God is just saying, I want you. Yes. Sheila's taken. Yes. Jeannie's taken. Mm -hmm. Faith is taken. Terabeth is taken. Mm -hmm. Like, Nona. So yeah. be that. And I feel like that is so liberating. Yeah, absolutely. So what's funny is a lot of times we think about humility as, you know, self-deprecation or thinking that we are somehow uh, less than somebody else. But the reality is that humility is simply living life in the lane that God gave you without looking to other people's lanes to see what car they're driving or how fast they're driving. Humility is about celebrating the lane that God gave you. And when you are able to live a life where you're grateful for what God has chosen to do through you without comparison to anybody else, you will experience the joy, the power, the resurrection power of Jesus because there is no comparison. You are an original, you are not a duplicate. And that is the worst mistake that we can make is to try to aspire to be somebody else when that person is already taken. I think often when we are in the pruning, um, the disappointment can really get to us. The disappointment could really get us jaded, especially if the pruning lasts for quite some time. You know, um, <laughs> I am reminded of 2 Samuel 6 when David was trying to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And, you know, when Usa died, when everything failed, and he tried his best, 30,000 able young men, yes. you know, like talk about extra to, <laughs> to move a chest full of trinkets, you know, carrying the presents, but just a box really. Um, and on a new card and all these instruments, and he just tried his absolute best and it failed. And it said that he was angry, he was afraid, like how, you know, is, am I ever going to be able to get this done? And he leaves the ark at Obed-Edom's house, you know, and I, that, that says something, you know, because I think sometimes we feel like, well, we're still doing the right thing. We're still attending church. You know, you your body may still attend church. Your body may still be doing the right things, mm -hmm. but you may have left the ark at somebody's house, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and often it may feel like rejection, but that moment, God wasn't rejecting David. He was revealing himself to David because David had to go through this three-month season where yeah. he goes back to Scripture. Oh, man, 
He didn't want 30,000 young and able men. He wanted Levites. He wanted a smaller group of the called and the consecrated. He wanted them on poles. Like, wait, we were doing it our way when actually, God, you had opinions about this. So God wasn't rejecting David. Actually, God was just revealing himself. And man, as long as we remain, because when David went back and he got that ark and, you know, they kill the calf and the bull every six steps, he went from great disappointment to great dancing, you know, and all it had to take was just, okay, God, let's go back to scripture. Okay, God, what are you trying to reveal to me? Okay, God, what do I have to learn from this? And going back and trying again, and your great disappointment will be transformed into great dancing. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about y'all, but the different rejections that I have experienced in my life, the rear view mirror is so powerful because they are always a protection. Always. Mm -hmm. Always. They are. I can always see how God was setting me up for something different, something better, something that was set apart just for me. Uh, And, you know, and in the moment, you know, it feels so painful. It's just, I don't want this rejection. I I don't want this to go this way. I I pictured my life going this path. And and yet those rejections are actually protection for our growth, for our prospering, for our longer transformation. And and we can actually then look to God and say, God, thank you for this pruning. Yeah. Thank you for what you have cut off. Thank you for what you didn't let stay um, because more growth emerged. And, yes. and going back, you know, God always sees that we are going to become a tree from what we only see as a seed. In John chapter 15, you know, the first three, four verses, we, we hear Jesus describing himself as the true vine and that we are the branches and that we're grafted in to Him. And there's a couple of things that are interesting. It talks about that any branches that don't produce fruit are cut off, and even the branches that do produce fruit are pruned so that they will produce even more. And in my earlier, my younger years as a believer, I always felt that when something was taken away or something was painful in my life, I would think that that was almost a mark of God's displeasure. But now I understand it so differently. We're told that the Lord disciplines or prunes those whom He loves. It simply means that we are, it's God's way of saying, you're mine, and I have so much more in store for you. That if you find yourself in a place where you feel you're just being kind of pruned back by the Lord, I know it's tempting to think that God doesn't love you, but all through Scripture, the message is clear. God loves you. And when we are being pruned, it's because He wants to produce so much more fruit in your life. And the great thing is, we can't do it by ourselves. You know, you could, you never see a grape sitting there thinking, oh, I so wish I could be a bigger grape. The only reason they get to be a grape is because they're connected to the vine. And it says we're connected to Jesus that fruit is produced in our life. It's really, it's been all about Jesus. It's all about where life is. It's all about where the bread is. It's all about where the open door is. It's all about Him being the true vine. And yeah, I would love to pray for for those who are joining us and just kind of remind us all that that He is present. You know, He's got a good stronghold on us. So let's pray. Oh, Father, what a joy it is to be able to talk to you. 
I mean, to be able to, to be in your presence and stop and remember that we're in your presence. I want to thank you for this week and, and all the different things that we've remembered about who you are, Jesus, that you are everything. Anything that our soul yearns for is found in you and you are here with open arms. And I just pray for, for all those who are watching in or listening to this, that Lord, that that would become so real to them and that we would be committed to staying connected to the vine. And when you choose to cut something away, Lord, by your grace, we will let it go. Because, because it, you're a good God, because you love us. It's not like you're this taskmaster who wants us to prove ourselves to you. You don't. You're a good God and you love us. And you just want to say, let go of that. Because when your hands are empty, just wait to see what I'm going to put in them. So we thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your death. And we thank you for your resurrection. And we remember that you are soon returning King. And we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Connect with us on social media and let us know how our team can pray for you. You know, when I think about remaining connected to the vine and the fact that God produces fruit in our lives when we remain, I think one of the, the gifts and the characteristics that I see in my life is the characteristic of peace. I would not have peace in my life if I was not connected to the vine. And so being in the presence of God is what actually gives me the peace of God when I am connected to Him through the vine. When we find our schedule overflowing with commitments and we're challenged to create intentional time with God, I would submit that we don't have a time problem. We have a priority problem because our schedule reflects what's important to us. Listen, you can make more money, but the one thing you can't make more of is time. And so if God is the most important person in our life, we have to prioritize time with Him. And that may mean that we have to deprioritize the time we spend on other things in order to make time for what matters most, and that's God.